That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. Hey, hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You. Really excited to have you with me for the next hour as we dig into subjects that uh, certainly maybe people are talking about, but maybe we'll be looking at them in a different way or hopefully bring different things to the table or get different things out of it. I'll leave that up to you. But nevertheless, I'm really excited to have you here with me. And uh, if you are uh, looking to catch up on any other episodes of this show, this show is available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you so much in advance, or for those of you who have already done it, uh, thank you so much for subscribing and leaving me a review. I really appreciate it. You can find out more about me, if you're interested, at my website, wordsbyjdk.com. You can find past episodes of this show there, as well as original writing, updates on my book novel project, and a lot more. So be sure to check that out. You can also find me on uh, at Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, social media. Look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you should find me rather easily. Thanks in advance. Looking forward to talking with you. Special thanks, too, here at the outset of the show to our longtime sponsor, Airway Science for Kids. They are a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of careers in aerospace. And they do it not just in a let's find a kid a job way, but in let's help kids learn how to better advocate for themselves, to build their confidence, to uh, effectively help their communities, and a lot more. If you'd like to know more about the wonderful programs that Airway Science for Kids offers, Check out their website, airside.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org, and you'll hear more about them during the show breaks. So uh, we are in December. The holidays are in full swing, and certainly there are a lot of different subjects that uh, I could cover, and I'll get to that here in just a little, in just a bit. But I know everyone now expects the show to start this way, so I cannot disappoint you. Let's take a look at the last week's news in What in the World is Going On? that the Ukrainians continue to demonstrate uh, creativity in innovative ways with technology to reach further and further uh, to hit Russian targets. So that's, the, the Ukrainians are obviously not sitting around waiting on the United States to provide everything that's needed. That's number one. Number two, I, I don't know that this is the start of a new counteroffensive. I think actually we're in the phase of what we would call condition setting, where the Ukrainian general staff is going to continue to go after logistics and continue to go after command and control. That is the former head of all American forces in Europe uh, talking about uh, really the successes that Ukraine has been uh, been achieving over the last week. Uh, really, really rough weekend for Russian forces in occupied Ukraine. Uh, Ukrainian rockets supplied by the United States, long-range rockets, those HIMARS systems we've talked about, hit two strategic locations. One, a hotel in the city of Melitopol that was holding a number of uh, newly minted Russian military recruits in a hotel. Estimates are hundreds were killed in that. And then um, also successful targeting of the base of that paramilitary 
organization, the Wagner Group, that is uh, made up of a number of different Russian loyalists. It's actually a private security firm. But they've been doing a lot of uh, spearhead fighting for Russian forces in the absence of really skilled uh, Russian soldiers. Wagner Group's been doing a lot of their special missions. Their headquarters was hit uh, by the Ukrainians as well, and an untold number of members of that unit, including some of their highest uh, commanders, were also killed over the weekend, also in occupied Ukraine. And it certainly seems like as Russia continues to target civilian infrastructure throughout Ukraine over the weekend, hitting uh, hitting such targets near Odessa and knocking about knocking power out to about 1.5 million Ukrainians there. As they do that, the Ukrainians are responding by strategically hitting targets inside military targets, logistical targets inside occupied Ukraine uh, where Russians are housed. But then also increasingly, it seems like causing trouble inside Russia itself. There have been a number of fires lately in Moscow and other cities that have been burning down things like shopping malls, also targeting fuel storage depots, airfields, and the like. And while the Ukrainians themselves aren't taking uh, credit for that or responsibility for that, it certainly seems like (laughs) this is happening because there are disgruntled people with this war effort throughout Russia. Whether they are Russian or Ukrainian, we might never know. But if anybody thought this was going to be a quiet winter on the Ukrainian side, I think they're being disabused of that notion. The Ukrainians are adapting and finding different ways, painful ways, to really hit the Russian war effort. And they're going to continue to do so, looks like, throughout the winter. So worth keeping an eye on. Now, I hesitate to step away from the Iranian protests for a week because there's a lot going on there. But there was a decidedly shocking and frightening event uh, that happened just a few days ago in Germany that everybody needs to know about. German authorities have foiled an alleged plot that aimed to topple the government in Berlin by force. Dozens of arrests were made in overnight raids that spanned the nation. They targeted suspected supporters of a far-right movement that rejects the legitimacy of the current German state. The country's top federal prosecutor said the alleged coup plotters intended to form a new German army and install a minor aristocrat as the country's leader. This seemed like something out of a bygone era uh, that happened in Germany. And this wasn't something that, you know, when we talk about coups and insurrections, we have our own experience in this country, right? Looking back on uh, the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. And of course, the investigation into that has been over the last couple of years, to what degree was any of that, you know, uh, decided upon well in advance, premeditated, how much of it was spontaneous. And those debates, of course, continue. In the case of what just happened in Germany, however, Uh, This was a lot more serious in terms of the premeditation and the planning and those who were involved. This wasn't just a bunch of right wing hooligans from an organization that's called the Reichsbürger. Um, It was a there are a number of very important people in various parts of the German government who were a part of this. A major judge, elements of the army, elements of the national police were involved in this plot. That some of it has connections to the larger QAnon movement, which we've heard about in this country. Other parts of it steeped in long-standing German right wing. Read that Nazi <laughs> and updated versions of that um, communities that have existed in Germany for quite some time. This plot arrests were carried out throughout the country. It wasn't just in Berlin. It was in cities throughout the country. So the level of coordination, the level of conversation have been going on for quite some time. Uh, And it sounds like German authorities began to pick up on this sometime in November. And literally, it's only December, which means 
This plot was was pretty far along by the time German authorities who wanted to thwart it were aware of it and felt the need to move on it quickly. Because an investigation, a federal investigation into something that only goes a month before there's action means there was something very significant going on. It's worth keeping an eye on because the rise of the far right in Europe is just as pronounced, maybe even more so, than what we're experiencing here in the United States. In Germany, that's a country that has been focused and vocal about allowing in Syrian refugees and other people from North Africa and elsewhere. Some in Germany do not like that, and it certainly feeds into the elements of the far right. But that is just only one of many issues, the Ukraine war being another one that is feeding the rise of rightist movements in Europe. And that has a very significant, significant impact on discussions there politically about what to do, not just about refugees and immigrants, the war in Ukraine, but literally about, in this case, the existence and legitimacy of the German state itself. A really shocking, frightening thing that uh, hopefully we'll be learning more about in the days ahead as a lesson and a warning to the rest of the world. Okay, and finally, um, some good news that happened over the weekend, uh, but a conversation that seemed a little weird to me that followed. The White House gave your family advance notice that Brittany Griner would be coming home and that your brother would not be. Um, that's a lot to take in. Can you tell me how you all process that, that reality? Well, I have to say that the White House uh, was very considerate, uh, but having that time really was nice. It, uh, you go through a lot of emotions when you first learn about, uh, you know, your loved one not coming home. Uh, and uh, we have done this already once in the public eye, and it was uh, much easier to go through those uh, emotions uh, privately. That, of course, is the brother of Paul Whelan, uh, an American who's been uh, wrongfully detained, classified by the U.S. government, wrongfully detained in Russia for about four years now, talking about uh, why his brother was not part of this uh, prisoner exchange between the United States and Russia that brought WNBA basketball star Brittany Griner home after 10 months in captivity in exchange for a notorious Russian arms dealer who'd been in uh, prison here for 15 years, why Paul Whelan... Uh, wasn't included in that. And uh, and certainly, as you heard there, the family was told by the Biden administration that the deal that they were able to reach with the Russians could only include Brittany Griner one to one because the Russians were not offering anything other than that. And it was a really interesting uh, response to all this. Brittany Griner uh, was able to come home. She is down at a special uh, military facility in San Antonio that uh, a lot of people who've been detained overseas uh, or have uh, suffered hostage situations overseas are brought back to and reintegrated into daily life. This is one of those places that does that. She got back just a few days ago, but the controversy about why Paul Whelan wasn't included in this kind of reached some absurd levels. It was really strange to the point there were some people who seemingly were upset that Brittany Griner was, was coming home. Uh, and certainly there were people involved in, uh, in Victor Boot, the Russian who was uh, in prison, involved in his arrest who weren't happy about this. But it just seemed rather strange. The criticisms that Paul Whelan should have come home first because he'd been there longer. A lot of this criticism didn't seem to be all that informed around what had actually happened and what was offered. This wasn't, and I heard somebody compare this to like, you know, a poorly run police hostage situation. And I'd like to just point out how stupid that is. First of all, a, a country, a superpower on the other side of the planet who's at war and you have no diplomatic relations with hold all the cards when it comes to the people they have detained when a country like the United States wants to get them back. That is very different 
from a hostage situation on a city street somewhere that is somebody in a house and there's overwhelming police force surrounding all of them. That's a different type of negotiation that can go on because in that case, more often than not, the leverage and the advantage is on the side of the police. In this case, the United States was operating from a deficiency from the very beginning. And this has been the case in these types of negotiations, in these types of situations, as long as they've been happening. Back in the 1980s, there were a number of Americans getting kidnapped off the streets of countries in the Middle East, like Lebanon, Syria, and elsewhere, and being held by terrorist organizations, in some cases for almost decades at a time. And the negotiations of how to get them out were all the more difficult and and precisely took a long time because those kidnappers, those imprisoners have the leverage. It was that simple. President Biden made the call, whether people agree with it or not, is their prerogative. However, it doesn't sound like the Russians were offering much other than a one-to-one swap. And in the end, getting an American back was clearly more important to the government, to the Biden administration, than not getting two people back. And I have a hard time arguing with that. At the same time, I certainly hope this does increase the spotlight on uh, Paul Whelan's situation. And hopefully this administration does more to get him back than the last administration did. You know, that administration that really liked Vladimir Putin, that spent a lot of time kissing up to Vladimir Putin and did nothing with that relationship to try and get Paul Whelan out of prison. So we should all remember that, too. Context matters. Okay. All right. So thanks for going through the news with me. Went a little longer than we normally do, but that's okay. So appreciate that. A lot going on in the world. And coming up on the end of the year here, and I just want to let people know that um, I'm coming up and doing something that I haven't done in quite some time. I'm going to be taking a break uh, from this show for a couple weeks. Uh, There's today's show. There's next week's episode that we'll we'll, uh, upload to podcast platforms and uh, play live on December 19th. And then I am off until January 9th. I'm going to take a few weeks uh, for the holidays. My dad's birthday is in there as well. I want to celebrate that with him. And really just kind of take some time uh, to myself to rest, to recharge, to reflect. And as part of that, though, I'm going to start that process on this show today. And then next week, we'll do the same. Next week, be sure to tune in for the episode where I give you my pretty much my year in review, right? Time Magazine just released their person of the year within the last week. And unsurprisingly, it was Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. Um, But I'm going to do my own version of that next week. Uh, Not just my person of the year, but also lots of my other blanks of the year. So that'll be next week. But today, what I'd like to talk a little bit about and bring you up to date on, in partial response uh, also to listeners reaching out and asking these questions, is my own year in review, meaning me, (laughs) myself. So uh, it's one reason I was okay with the news going a little bit longer, (laughs) because um, I'm reaching this interesting point in my life where I'm not as comfortable talking about me as much, or I'm not as interested in that as much as I am about um, hearing from other people, hearing about other people, and taking a look at things in different ways, and, and talking about things that I don't know about as opposed to the things I do know about. That said, I have such appreciation for all of you who listen and comment and chime in and give support to the show and and that you've been doing so for almost two years now that uh, I do feel like I should share some of those things uh, and updates on those. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. And what I'll what I'll preface this with is is I really have, I believe, had the best year of my life in the last year. 
And it's not been because I somehow won the lottery, which I didn't, or, you know, there were these huge, incredible life changes that, you know, uh, or anything like that. But there weren't. There was just really steady progress, steady growth. And I guess most important to me, uh, more ease and perspective and calm in my life, despite all the different challenges that have come in. I've had those. Uh, than I've really had before. And I'm really grateful for that. So I look back on the past year uh, with more gratitude than anything else. And that gratitude is leading me towards a lot of anticipation about the next year. That said, I don't really spend a lot of time on that anticipation either, (laughs) mainly because uh, one of the things that can end up happening is I can start telling myself stories about what I really want to have happen. And pretty quickly that can slide into what I need to have happen or what I'll be disappointed by if it doesn't happen or doesn't go a certain way. And it robs me, if I do that, of the ability to be pleasantly surprised (laughs) when unexpected things happen, uh, but also to better be able to adjust as reality collides with plans. And that's something that I think all of us can relate to, uh, that oftentimes that's a key tension point. All the things we want to do, plan to do, and suddenly life... uh, goes a little bit of a different direction or provides different opportunities or requires some different changes. That's happened a lot this year too. So when we come back from our first break, I'll dive into that, give you all some updates, some things I've been thinking about, some things where I might be going, and uh, we'll see what you think between now and next week. So stick around. We'll be right back. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all. Welcome back, everyone, to the show is all about you. I am your host, JDK Winnikin, and today this show is all about me. Uh, it's uh, it's an update. <laughs> Eric's laughing over there. Uh, it's it's an update on how my last year has been. Kind of a kind of a look back, a year in review, if you will. Starting with me, and next week we'll talk about some of the bigger things going on um, in the past year. But nevertheless, wanted to share a little bit uh, with all of you. And first of all, I, cannot, I wanted to say, if I haven't really said it, maybe I haven't. Uh, I try to, at the end of every show, say, you know, thank you to all the listeners because I, I could not do this without you. And that's very true. And yet I also want to kind of pause for a minute and, and really talk about what that means. Uh, certainly, I'm appreciative for every one of you who listens to this show uh, and comments on it and reaches out to me about it. I'm so glad that there are a growing number of people who find it valuable, who take an hour out of their week uh, to 
listen to what I have to say and listen to the conversations that happen on this show when I bring guests in. It means a lot because there's a lot out there uh, for people to listen to. And there's certainly a lot out there to draw our attention, distraction, you name it. And so thank you specifically to you, person listening, uh, for taking that time and for doing that. It means a lot. And one of the reasons why it means a lot, and maybe the most important reason why it means a lot, is that it continues to give me more of a sense of belonging in this spot where I sit here on this mic. That that's the ability to share these perspectives and to have conversations about them with listeners afterwards has value. And that and it, and to me it doesn't matter if it's reaching three million people or thirty. You know, it's certainly I you know I want to grow the audience as time goes by. But the very fact that there are people out there listening to this who are getting something out of it uh, is a shot in the arm for a person like me who really does want to feel a sense of relevance uh, and feel a sense of place and a sense of purpose. And this show really helps with that. It's one reason I'm so appreciative to Airway Science for Kids that they give me the opportunity to do this every single week. And, uh, and it feels good to be able to uh, do a show that reflects their values as well. And uh, I'm looking forward in the new year of, of doing some things a little bit more on that side with them uh, to highlight some of the great stories out there that they have. Uh, and so you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks ahead. So that's the first thing that th- this show is uh, really a whole lot of fun to do. And, and while I'm, you know, today's sort of a, you know, one man's show, I guess would be the, a good title for the episode. Uh, this really isn't a one person show. It requires a lot of people to make this happen. And not just in terms of the logistics of making the show happen, but giving me all the people, the support, the angles, the possible guests, the connections to continue to grow this show into uh, whatever it's going to grow into. That takes a lot. That's why I do thank yous at the end uh, every single week, because I don't want anybody to think that this is somehow just me. Uh, And yet, and yet, in the end, I'm the one who is speaking into the mic. I'm the one responsible for what I say. Uh, and I do take that seriously. And so I, I appreciate all the feedback that I get. I'm loving doing the show. Um, I'm always looking for ways to improve it and build upon it. And uh, in the new year, I'll be talking a little bit more uh, with all of you about some of the things that I'm contemplating and deciding upon as we move forward. So there is that one. Um one thing that people often ask a lot about too is how my writing projects are going and, and it, it continues on. Um, I am learning what writers the world over, uh, say trying to get your first book published is an arduous process. And it's one that almost without exception, there's probably a few here and there takes first time authors a long time to conquer if ever. And so I continue to push forward, putting out, uh, query letters to agents, to publishers where appropriate, uh, to try and get my uh, alternate history fiction novel, Corella's Inferno, published. And uh, there are times, honestly, over this past year, it's been really ebb and flow. I've had a number of other things going on that I'll talk to you about in a minute that sometimes have put that book process on a further back burner than, in retrospect, I would have liked. Those were clearly my choices, uh, and I made some choices uh, in that regard because of things I think I needed to do that were a little more pressing in the foreground. So I've just been trying to keep that process steady as I've been building this show, as I've been doing a few other things, trying to keep that process steady, stay engaged with them. I'm a part of some, some various writers groups that, uh, that are helping with that. And just recently uh, joined a, a writing group that I'm really excited about 
that will hopefully provide more connections, more uh, more insight, more feedback, all those types of things. It just seemed like the right time to join it and uh, to bring more people into that process. I'm learning with my writing the same way I was just talking about with this show. It is not a, even though writing itself is a solitary endeavor, it simply cannot go beyond a certain point without the help of a whole lot of other people. And I'm finding that that is the interesting balance and interesting relationship that almost every area of my life is experiencing. On one hand, me doing, making the choices that I make in every part of my life that I alone need to make and I alone am responsible for, and the necessity of connective relationships and feedback and open ones, honest ones, with other people help make that happen. Whether it's getting feedback on writing, feedback on show content, um, accountability in my personal life or in my professional life, other people are absolutely required. And so my relationships with people are front and center pretty much every single day in every part of my life in what I'm doing, despite the fact that I spend a lot of hours working on my own on various things. Writing itself is, uh, for me, yeah, it's a solitary activity, and yet it's the area where I feel the most engaged, the most comfortable with myself, the most connected to myself, and the most connected to other people, interestingly enough. Uh, Every author, I believe, in some ways, writing about themselves no matter what they're doing. And in fiction, I think that that happens quite a bit. Um, And if nothing else, they tap into elements of themselves or their own life to develop characters and to put them forward. The themes they care about tend to show up in their writing. I don't think that's a problem at all. And and maybe that's too broad of a brush to paint. So speaking just for myself, that's what happens to me. I, I tend to write what I know. And I try to talk about on this show and other platforms what I know or what I'm wondering about or what I'm learning about. And with writing, what that does for me is on one hand, I can spend hours not saying a word to anybody as I write and uh, feel super connected to myself and excited about the work that I'm doing, a sense of accomplishment when I'm done, whether I've done 10 pages or one page or one paragraph. And alongside that can be kind of this interesting, you end up in this bubble when you write, or at least when I write, I end up in this bubble that everything feels somewhat separate, right? So when I step out of that space, um, it can sometimes take a little bit of a shift, like it's almost like grinding gears in a car to try and get back into uh, a connected state really in what's happening around me, even with something as basic as, oh, I need to go make myself some dinner or I need to give that person a call that I said I was going to. And then having a conversation with them where I'm out of that bubble, I'm out of my head. Sometimes that can be a challenge. And it's, it's an interesting thing. Sometimes I feel connected to others and lonely at the same time when I write. And sometimes I can actually feel that even sitting in here talking on this show where I'm, you know, certainly talking to everyone out there listening. And yet here I am. (laughs) It is me. It's an interesting dynamic to sit with. Once upon a time, it used to really cause me a great deal of discomfort. And that has gone down over time. And yet it's a tension that I have come to expect in those processes. And the past year for me in trying to get the book published uh, has been a battle sometimes in not necessarily wanting to go back into that space because of all the other things that I need to be working on, 
or that I'm choosing uh, to make a priority to work on instead. A few a couple months ago, though, I started making another shift and realizing that maybe the best thing for me to do when it comes to trying to get my book published, besides the ins and outs of that process, is just to simply make sure I'm writing, period, on other things, writing on new projects. I'm writing the sequel to my first novel. I'm in the middle of that. I also have two nonfiction book projects uh, in the works um, at various stages. One is kind of in the middle. I'm working on that with Tony Santabria, my broadcast partner, on the Breaking Up With Our BS podcast. And uh, another one is still fledging. I'll tell you all about that some other point um, when it becomes a little more real. But nevertheless, writing there, uh, writing more content for my website is coming up. And what I find in that is the very process of engaging in writing uh, that isn't just about getting something published is the very thing that drives that connective process forward for me and is actually helping me get out a little bit more of that dynamic of um, okay, I got to shut myself off, then reconnect, shut myself off, then reconnect. It's helping me more and more integrate all those things together so that writing is a natural part of the course of my days rather than this thing I have to siphon off and do separately, trying to get that flowing in. So that's what's happening there. Uh, certainly, I'm still excited about the idea of getting the book published. And some people have asked me if at some point I would consider self-publishing. Not yet at least not on this book, uh, maybe some other things I might do. Uh, I've thought about maybe self-publishing um, some of my poetry collections that I've worked on. That could be kind of fun. I'm also toying with the idea of writing up a quick uh, freebie ebook that I would put out there, fiction ebook uh, for readers to read to get a sense of what I'm talking about in my novel. Um, so I'm working on that idea as well. So it, it certainly is out there. This This show in some ways started out as a way for me to try to build up more of an audience to talk about the book and that type of thing. And it's kind of been fun to watch it turn into something that's complementary to that and connected to that, but not exclusively tied to that. I've, and I've had fun with it. Sometimes that presents challenges in terms of where to take the show, what I can do with it, what are the possibilities. Uh, but fortunately, I'm really, um, really blessed to have lots of great, creative, supportive people around me to help me make those decisions. So that part has been really cool uh, to go through as well. Um, another thing that the, one of those things that I've, I chose to prioritize more so in the past year than, than sometimes trying to get the book published is I've mentioned on this show before, and certainly have done so on breaking up with RBS. I've been working on this past year, a certification program to become uh, what's called a human potential coach. It's a form of life coaching and life coaching is a, is a pretty big industry these days. Uh, it's, it's not being a therapist. It's actually a very different thing. And there's multiple different types of life coaching out there. And on breaking up with our BS, we, we talk about that. Tawny, uh, Santa Bria is also a human potential coach among many other things that she is. And it's a very different approach. And I, I highly encourage any listeners, if you've not listened to that podcast, give it a shot. Uh, it's she and I having a conversation about a half hour at a time on all different types of elements of these types of things. And, I was really attracted to that, uh, to the coaching program in part because I was doing this kind of coaching work with Tawny for the last few years. And then uh, in a process that I still can't quite remember how it all came together, a conversation began uh, that maybe I should do the program, 35-week program, that uh, would lead to me being certified in this. can't remember exactly all the pieces that came together. Tawny was a part of that, but uh, also a number of other people were a part of that. 
And it just seemed like the really, a really great next step for me to take. Something that would uh, help me in my personal life, in all my professional endeavors, including writing, including this show, uh, and, and also provide, uh, provide outlets for me to be helping people in a number of direct one-on-one coaching ways. Uh, it's something that I do care about. Longtime listeners know I was a teacher for many years, and I enjoyed that process of, of helping people discover things. In that case, it was knowledge about the past that they didn't know. It's a lot more now about helping people understand really where they have choice in their life, which is in a lot more places than people think, I'm discovering. Uh, but then also to be able to be more resilient and better able to roll with all the varying things that happen in life, both good and bad, and increasingly grow towards not needing to make up stories about what everything means or what the future is going to bring or what the past is all about, but helping people be more and more empowered in themselves in the present and not just operating from a headspace, but operating in an integrated space where their awareness of what's happening in their body and in their mind and their spirit is all working together to give them a good sense of where they might need to go next, right? Their own sense of direction. It's something that I have increasingly discovered as more time has gone by. And this program that I've been doing, which I'm very close to wrapping up, very close to wrapping up, has been profound in its effect on me uh, personally, professionally. And I know that if you were to ask the people that I have the closest relationships with, they would say the same thing because they have said those things to me. Wow, this has really impacted you in a very positive way. And it's helped me be a lot more present for me with other people, for me to be um, a lot more reflective rather than reactive, uh, to be okay in, in increasingly in difficult conversations and in uncertain situations, and to really be more excited about possibility when things are uncertain than worried about what's going to happen if, if something doesn't go the way I want it to go. So that program is wrapping up. And I haven't said too much about it on this show, mainly because I was kind of you know, knee deep in it. And uh, really kind of working some things out. But now there's this sense of completeness that's coming and next steps of which I'm having discussions uh, with various entities about what that's going to mean. I'm going to be helping out Airway Science for Kids uh, with it uh, because I so strongly believe in their mission and they believe in mine. So I'm looking forward to that. And certainly uh, Tawny and I will be, uh, be integrating that into everything we're doing with Breaking Up With Our BS and that book project I mentioned. So it's a it's a pretty exciting time in that sense. I, I feel like I've added, um, for lack of a better term, another skill set uh, to my life. You know, I, I, I did all the work that it required to get a PhD in history, which was a long haul. And I've, I've said on the show before, I've never regretted it. Um, <clears throat> even though I'm not in academia anymore, and I'm really glad about that, I don't regret going through that process because I got to read and explore time periods, places that a lot of people never get a chance to study. I got to ask questions at levels of depth that most people don't ever get a chance to ask or explore. I got to go places in that pursuit that I might not have gotten to go to and experience uh, otherwise had I not done so. And it, for that reason, it's, it's one of the greatest experiences of my entire life and one that I value the most. I can say the same. That took eight years, <laughs> right? Uh, seven years, I should say to get the PhD. This took 35 weeks, but I have a very similar feeling about this program and what it's done for me because it's helped me if, if 
a lot of those things, the PhD program was exploring the external world and the intellectual world and building up my connection with all of that. This process has been equal to that in the internal space for myself. Understanding better who I am, how I operate, what I actually believe in as opposed to what other people tell me that I should. Uh, being able to better connect with what my body's telling me, not just what other people outside of me are telling me or the stories in my brain are telling me. That's been the equivalent for me, this, this program. It's through the Human Potential Institute. And it's been a wonderful gift in that regard. And so I sometimes pull all this stuff together and go, wow, the opportunities I've had to dig into these things uh, and to experience them and integrate them into my life, I am so fortunate because there's a lot of people who don't get the opportunity or don't take the opportunity to put all those things together in such a way. And so I'm excited to see where it goes. But more so than even that, I'm just excited for what it is. And I figure as long as I stay in that spot of appreciating what it is, everything else will take care of itself in the future. All right. So let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about some other things uh, over my past year. And uh, we'll wrap that up on this show is all about you. Come on back. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. It's my yearly review episode. It's actually in two parts. This one is my review of me <laughs> for the past year. Next week will be the review of everything else. So make sure you uh, make sure you check in next week uh, to get all of that, if that sounds interesting to you. Uh, but today I'm talking about sort of my year in review, and I've already covered uh, what's happening with the book. I've covered uh, certification uh, program that I've been doing to become a, a, a life coach. Uh, which I'm really looking forward to. And uh, so in this last part, I want to kind of drop a little further into myself a little bit and um, talk a little bit about, I think, the engines that make all of this run, you know. Uh, and maybe this is true for everybody, but I'm just going to, and if it is, let it resonate. And if it's not, just put it off to the side and take what you can get out of it. But speaking for myself, uh, when I think back on the, where I can see the most tangible changes and growth shifts, call it what you like, in my life, has just been in the connective relationships I have with other people. And by that, I don't just mean the people that I'm close to. That's important. I mentioned before the break that um, my closest relationships have continued to grow, and they do shift. Um, but have grown it in really positive ways. I've also had relationships that have been changing the other direction. 
uh, as part of this process where I'm, uh, you know, some friendships that I was a lot more invested in before, it doesn't seem like there's as much now. It doesn't mean that the love is any less or the concern and the care or the appreciation is any less. It's just that for whatever reason, reasons that I can make up a million stories about, but I choose not to, um, shift and ebb and flow like the tides do, right? And so, and that's probably a constant for all of us, right? There are periods of time where I think we, we connect more with other people around different circumstances, different seasons, if you will, in life. And then there's others that we're connected to for a lot longer than that. And that has ebbs and flows, periods of more communication, less communication. And then there are, of course, the deepest ones where, where I think whether you're talking every single day, a couple times a week or a couple times a year, there's always that deep awareness of the other in your daily life. And, and I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to see and observe in my life all those shifting sands. But being able to experience those shifting sands with very firm feet on the ground. And maybe that's a little bit of a mixed metaphor, but just roll with me <laughs> on that. But nevertheless, I feel firmly planted in, in where I am and, and, and what I'm doing and what I'm seeing. The value of that cannot be overstated because what that provides for me is this awareness on one hand, moment to moment, that if I'm connected to myself, my own value, my own ideas, my own values, it's going to be easier for me to show up more authentically and more connectively, more open to connection with other people than it would be if I didn't know any of those things. The work on all of these things in our relationships I've learned and I continue to learn starts with me first and foremost, which means in certain cases, if there are things that other people want me to do or, you know, certain pressures coming from externally that are pushing me to do something that would run me against my own values or against prioritizing what I know works for me, I say no to them. That used to be really hard for me. <laughs> I'm getting better at saying no to those things and just not going there because if I sacrifice something about me in order for that to happen, something that's fundamental to my health, fundamental to my growth, to my ability to connect with myself um, and with other people, whatever that pressure is, it's not going to produce a quality result. And so I don't want to do that at my own expense. You know, and that's something that I've learned more and more over the past year to really recognize that even if it's selfish, it's a good selfish to prioritize my own space first, or at least to, before I respond to something, to take a good look at how I'm feeling in the moment, at what this choice or this opportunity that's put in front of me might present. Will it run counter to what my values are? Is it, is it a healthy risk as opposed to an unhealthy risk? That takes time. And yet to allow myself to take that time for me has been such a positive development. Uh, and, and yet alongside that comes sometimes having to tell other people no <laughs> or say I'm not going to do that or that type of thing. And being able to sit in the conversations that result, the shifts that happen uh, in result, and in some cases the changes that those things can produce uh, in friendships or other types of relationships. And it doesn't have to be a problem. It's something that Tawny and I talk about on breaking up with our BS all the time, right? That when these things happen, um, they can produce emotions like sadness and loss, uh, sometimes excitement, whatever the case may be. But 
those things don't have to be a problem. Relationships change. Dynamics change. People grow. And they grow sometimes in parallel, sometimes side by side. Sometimes they diverge. And just because they diverge doesn't mean at some point in the future they won't converge. And yet, the only way to successfully navigate the uncertainty of all that, the day-by-day moment of that, is to be all right with oneself. And that requires being connected with oneself. And in that sense, it's one of the things that keeps me going when it comes to writing because more and more writing is becoming a place where I am reminding myself and experiencing more and more in the moment, me prioritizing all of those positives, all those values, advocating for myself, doing the thing I really love doing the most. I love writing more than anything else. Some of you might be surprised and some of my my close family and friend members might believe I like talking more than writing, but I assure you that's not true. (laughs) Or at least it doesn't feel true. But nevertheless, uh, writing connects me with all those things and reminds me of what they are and gives me a clarity more often than not when I step out of writing about what's going on around me and where I want to go next. And I don't have to know where that is a week out or a month out or a year out, even if I am planning for that on some level. It allows me to simply keep moving. And the great thing about that when it comes to relationships, too, is it allows me to let other people do the same, to show up as they are, to recognize that their choices have to do with them and what they need to do. And that if I really care about these people, I want them to be making the best choices for themselves about what makes them happy, what gives them a sense of value, where they want to go in life. You know, it reminds me, it's kind of a, you know, reminds me of when somebody moves away, somebody that you really care about moves away for whatever reason. And it can be for a new job. It can be because of a a change in life circumstance, uh, a family challenge, going to a new school, whatever it might be. And what happens when that happens? Well, they're, they're going away and the relationship is going to change, at least in some ways, either in, you know, obviously in frequency of seeing the person perhaps, or being able to spend time with them, uh, maybe perhaps being able to talk to them less often than you used to. And yet we're sad about it. And yet we also can go, okay, I understand why they're doing that. And that isn't something that I think is just appropriate for that, that stage. It's something that we can do every day. That when people show up and they maybe aren't in the best mood today than they were yesterday, (laughs) that we can go, okay, they're not in a great mood. And therefore this conversation isn't as great as the last one we had. And yet that's where they're at. Right. And then in there, navigate the conversation in such a way that isn't shortchanging myself or, you know, or anything like that, but allows that person to be where they are. And then the next time I talk with them or connect with them, they might be in a different spot and to take them where they are right then. And certainly if it's appropriate to share feelings about all that, yet not in a way that is, you know, saying there's something wrong with them for how they were or how they showed up or what they were feeling. Uh, but rather just taking it as it is. Oftentimes when we're really connected to people, I think a lot of the things that we worry about, you know, making sure we're heard or setting boundaries when we're really connected to somebody and we know where we stand and where we start and stop and where they stand and where they start and stop, those things tend to take care of themselves. And it certainly takes two people in that space to make that happen. 
So it doesn't mean that boundaries don't matter. Uh, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, expressing your own feelings doesn't matter. What I'm suggesting is in connection with oneself first and then with another person from a genuine space, those things take care of themselves. And I've really enjoyed what that's given me in my relationships. It's given me a lot more ease and flow in those relationships and in those conversations. And I feel like I'm seeing the people that I really love and care about a lot more clearly, authentically, and far less from a space of what can they give me or what can I get out of this relationship rather than what is here? What is this providing? What am I experiencing? What are the lessons that I'm getting out of this? Right? The, the best relationships I think we have are the ones that put up a mirror in front of us. We're with the people who are um, not afraid to share who they are and how they are, and tell us what they think of who we are and how we are in a given moment. I think those people are the most important. Those can also be the most challenging of relationships. And, there are, and it doesn't even need to be just the closest people. I'm noticing that my interactions with people on those sort of outer circles, if the closest people are in the, the closest circle to me, and like, a, like an archery target, they're circles that kind of go out further and further, People in those circles, even the ones that are farthest out at the edge, the people I know through work or the people that I know, you know, that I run into at the gym or, you know, or whoever, all those people can have value and worth. And I'm noticing that more and more, even in my short interactions with them and whatever it might be, uh, I'm showing up more authentically in my space uh, from my side of things than I used to. Uh, and that I find myself more genuinely interested. It, it might come as a surprise to some of you that uh, on my own, I don't necessarily talk to a lot of people. And when I, when I go out and run errands, I have this side of me that does not want to talk to anyone. Uh, within the past year or so, I have actively stopped, you know, started taking out my earbuds when I go grocery shopping, when I, you know, when I go run errands, because I can use that to, to push people out to keep people out and the everyday interactions that I have with people matter a lot because they give me opportunities in these small little bites to connect with myself in that moment. Even if it's something, just that quick conversation with the cashier at the grocery store about how their day's going and, and how my day's going and whatever might come up, even if it's the weather, right? To instead of treating that as just something kind of a rubber stamp and move on because we all do it to really experience how I'm showing up in that. Am I being, Am I manufacturing a good mood when it's not there? If somebody asks me how I'm doing, do I answer honestly? It gives me an opportunity to show up in those small spaces and those small moments uh, in the same way. And doing that over time helps with the big moments <laughs> when the big things come rolling down. And so for me, trying to be aware of that connectivity, staying connected with myself no matter the circumstances that I'm in, allows me to experience the outside world through some different lenses than I'm used to. And I'm noticing that people are pretty amazing. Uh, even when I don't know their stories, and I don't need to know their stories, right? The, the, from paying attention more, I notice the small acts of kindness that oftentimes I think I probably would have missed once upon a time, those quick moments, you know, 
of somebody helping somebody get off something off the shelf at a grocery store that they can't reach or, uh, you know, there's a, there's a million and one things. And oftentimes in those moments is when my belief and confidence in humanity's goodness, that element of it that is good continues to get reinforced in my closest relationships. I can have that reinforced anytime I want because these are the people that, you know, we love each other. Seeing it happen among strangers, even in the smallest way, in some ways can feel even more affirming and more hopeful and more exciting to me because no one had to do it. A stranger could have walked by another stranger and no one really would have thought anything about it necessarily, but instead they chose something different. And that's how I want to be. I want to be the person who helps a person get something off the shelf. I want to be the person who asks the cashier who I can tell is having a rough day, how they're doing, right? And maybe a word of encouragement, you know? Uh, that's who I want to be. And oftentimes I don't feel like being that. I, I want to get my list done. I want to go about my stuff. Maybe I'm thinking about all the stuff I need to do for work or for writing or, you know, I'm in one of those periods where I'm making up a story about, am I, you know, doing too much? Am I ever going to get my book published? What will ever happen? Blah, 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 blah. And it's those little moments that do a lot for me. I'm noticing those a lot more. And at this time of year, holiday season, one of the, one of the good things about it is I think people are, have more of a predisposition to show that side of themselves and to cultivate that side of themselves, maybe reflect on how they want to do things differently and a hope that they can grow further from a point where they might happen to be. And so that's why I get excited more and more about the holidays is that chance to reflect a chance to go, hmm, I'd like to maybe do some things differently and try some new things out. And so that willingness has grown in me as well. So overall, it's been a really good year uh, and I'm enjoying where I'm going. Um, I don't do predictions as people, people know who listen to this show, uh, but I will spend some time next week, uh, not on predictions, but on some things maybe that I won't be surprised <laughs> if they happen uh, in the upcoming year. But also next week, we'll spend a lot of time talking about what I think was most important um, in the broader scheme of things over the past year and uh, tell a few stories that uh, clearly you haven't heard, but of people who are who were big in my year. Uh, and I think when you hear their stories, you'll have a better appreciation why. So I hope that you will join me next week for that year in review episode. I hope you've enjoyed this year in review of my life um, for what it's worth. And I uh, look forward to seeing you uh, next week as well. So uh, to wrap everything up, uh, make sure you check out wordsbyjdk.com. Find me on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. would love to hear from you. And, of course, you can pick this up wherever you get your podcasts, this and any other episode of this show. This show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is the in-studio producer, editor, mixmaster. Thanks so much, Eric. show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. You can check them out at airside.org. And the original theme music for this show is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week goes to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Stacey Heller, Ashley Knievel, Bruce Bullard, Antoinette Bernardo, Phil, Mike, and Julia McCoy, Ken and Bodie Zick, Cesar and Martine Garcia, Emily McFetridge, Seth Mormon, Keth and Margaret, Ken, Ken and Margaret Winnikin, Kevin Simpson, Bruce Flommer, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Thanks to whoever, special thanks to whoever created eggnog. Just bless you. And thank you also to whoever decided it should only be available at this time of year. Bless you too, whoever you are. Thanks also to whoever it was that ensured that Kanye West somehow disappeared from the news from the past week. Whoever you are, keep up the good work. 
Thanks also, and a sad note, to Grant Wall, the great American sports writer who died suddenly during the World Cup last week at age 49. I loved what you wrote, Grant, for 20 years, and I loved how you did it. I loved your strong love for soccer alongside your deep conscience and your care about ethics and humanity in the sport. You will be missed. And to you listeners, of course, thank you. I could not do this for you without you. And finally, to send you off into the rest of the week, let's end as we always do with an original haiku. Looking back upon this past year shows me right where I should keep standing. Chins up, everyone. <laughs>